I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know what generally gets me through writing the questions, recording editing etc 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 the podcast coffee and there's coffee and then there's ironside coffee ironside is the call sign of the armored core and when you call in the armor you mean business ironside coffee is your armor against the busiest day the most hectic of schedules and the pressures of life think of them when you need caffeine fire support check out the website and use the code warrior to save a further 10% off the already amazing prices. Ironside Coffee. Get yourself some. Do you feel like you haven't slept last night? Well, maybe you haven't slept. Maybe you're just fat and lazy and you need to get up out of bed, go for a run, eat more greens, eat some cereal, eat some vegetables. Basically be optimised. Basically eat less fast food, drink less alcohol, drink more coffee, run further and do less drugs. With your host... Ex-major Brown Connolly. Jesus. All right. <laughs> How was that for an intro? I'm uh, I'm joined today by my good friend, Doctor Ian Gunnikin. And uh, anyway, let me start again. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm joined today by my good friend, Doctor Ian Dunnikin. PhD in what? Oh, sleep, performance, and combat and contact athletes. But that's one of a few things I do. Um. Yeah, and we're going to have a. We're gonna have to do a show today about human performance, not just sleep, because um, the sleep the sleep episode was really quite well. A lot of people really liked it and sent me a lot of messages about their sleep and and the way that um, you know sleep affects or lack of sleep affects their performance. And we thought, well, it's not just about sleep that's affecting your performance; it's more of a holistic sort of angle, isn't it? Yeah. So, like one of the things that I've been finding lately. Um, dealing with clients or customers, whatever it want to be, in terms of research projects, whether it be in our elite athletes that we're dealing with in you know, high-performance sports or even indeed in industry, is that people are kind of looking at sleep now in isolation. And this is something I've been moving into more based upon my own experience and then what I'm seeing happen with people. So we get sleep optimised to a certain degree, mm. you know, and people are like, oh, I get an extra hour or two. But, you know, maybe I'm still feeling like shit. <laughs> maybe I'm not, you know, really coping well when it comes to travel. Maybe I'm not very good when it comes to competition time. So what's all these other additional factors in this human performance optimization sphere that we can look at? Because sleep is a critical enabler for performance, but you can optimize one part of your life and have obviously have still have, you know, decrements or issues in another part. Mm. So we've got to look at this as pushing all the pillars forward. So typically you'll hear people talk about the relationship between sleep, mental health, physical activity and diet as these kind of four pillars. Mm. And some people often combine those to three pillars. And so really what we're trying to do is push all of these together. But from an industry point of view, we might have to look at production mm. and finance as well. Mm. So how do we push all those things in a positive direction, whether that's, that's lowering that number or increasing that number? And how do we find the optimization from a human perspective and from a business perspective? So sleep can be one of the markers but it's not necessarily the whole story. And I mean, I know that because this morning, like I, I slept eight hours last night, slept like a baby, like I usually do, got up, got up at five, was down at Cottesloe, working on the computer, writing emails, ate a holly per sourdough, this is at six in the morning, ate a holly per sourdough, couple of lattes. And shit your brains off. Was, 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 <laughs> was, was driving home at 7.30 like could have gone back to bed for eight hours i felt like absolute shit but it had nothing to do with my sleep it was well i can't eat that sort of food and if i have coffee too early in the morning actually it works the opposite to me that works for other people actually is something i use to relax not something that hypes me up Mm, i'm an an outlier no no there is some people like that as well and that's the thing is about understanding your own sort of i think sensitivity Mm. to these things so a lot of people go 
oh yeah, you know, like alcohol doesn't really affect me. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, or it affects your sleep. But I can tell you that for most people, it will affect their sleep, as an example. Coffee may have, an, uh, depends on the time as well, so it might have a counter effect of promoting alertness. It might actually make some people feel sleepy, and that does happen in some people as well. Mm. So it's, again, it's knowing yourself. But, and so we take this broad kind of research about what's generally happening, mm. and then we kind of break it down into that individual parameters and say, all right, well, we push on these. And that's why we want to get into those kind of individual assessments as well and work with people one-on-one, particularly with athletes we do this. And we try and work out, you know, what's these variables that we need to push on. And like you said as well, you know, you had a good night's sleep, you got up and you were doing some activity, and then you felt sleepy, you couldn't easily go back to bed. So Mm. that might necessarily, for you, be related to the coffee or the sourdough. In some cases, if if sourdough is very bad for you, as an example, some people might be gluten intolerant or Mm. it's not great for them, might make them feel sleepy. If a food sensitivity, that's often like an outcome there. Mm. Or... How much sleep did you have in the last 24, 48, yeah. 72, or the last two weeks? Have you been yeah. running around like a blue arse flying, yeah, yeah, traveling, yeah, yeah. really? Plus, I've been so doing two sessions of PT a, a day for the last two weeks. Yeah. And yesterday, I was particularly dehydrated after a run, and, and then, yeah, it felt like shit last night. So it's probably a knock-on from that. But anyway... So that's what we call, like, that's kind mm. of what we call rebounding from a sleep deprivation state as well. Mm. See this a lot in athletes as well, or even people who travel a lot and fly on, fly out, or even military personnel, wear for a long period of time, get used to getting by on low amount of sleep, get used to feeling like crap, eating crappy food, then to take a break, mm. sleep in, mm. sort of get themselves back into a routine and to go, yeah. oh, I actually feel like shit for a few days. But it's because they're recovering from all that sort of sleep deprivation, bad food, whatever it might be. And then it might be a, take them a few days to sort of get back into the groove and, and, and recover from that period of, of stress, really. Yeah. Um, hey, man, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of your consultancy, Milius Consulting, um, because you obviously work in areas of not just sleep but mm. human performance optimization. And obviously I love the whole human performance optimization, do a lot of tests on myself, which I know you also do on yourself. Um, I've always wanted to ask you this, Melius. What, what the fuck does that even mean? Well, is it like metal industry, United States, or <laughs> so many many years ago, Bram, when you were a kid and I was at school? You dickhead. <laughs> um, some people learned Latin. Now, fortunately, Latin wasn't around when I went to high school or secondary school. It had just been sort of outlawed in the. There's only one of us here realms. with Latin written on their body in ink, mate. Just quietly, anyway. Carry on. You haven't seen all my body, Bram. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> anyway, uh, Melius. So, what does Melius mean? Yeah, good question. It is a Latin-based word, which means to make better, to improve in good style. So, Melius Consulting. That's what we want to do. We want to work with companies. We want to work with people to make better in good style. And we are a health safety improvement company. Um, that partners with businesses and we do kind of strategy and systems work as well and as part of that then obviously human performance fits in under that realm and it was also the last latin word left that wasn't in a business name <laughs> maybe or it could be <laughs> in a bit, it could be everywhere around the world yeah i think every country's got amelius um yeah so you know since the last time i mean it was about a year ago now when when you were one of the guests one of the first guests on the warrior you podcast which was um actually it was the first quality guest um, Paul what, Kale would not be happy about that. Well, Paul was after that, and it was a and it was a um, it was fueled on red wine and BJJ stories. <laughs> um, you know, in that time, uh, you know, have you learned any new lessons? Any new lessons about sleep and performance that you want to pass on to the listeners? Oh yeah, there's been lots, and there's been lots of stuff in the literature. Actually, this afternoon before we caught up, I was sitting having a sandwich at lunchtime, and I was flicking through the paper, and so. This may be of interest to people. In 2007, 2008, the World Health Organization determined that uh, shift work that involved night shift work was a type 2A carcinogen, which meant that it was highly probable that night shift work would cause cancer. Now, that was based on a number of different studies that were sort of aggregate epidemiology that had this outcome. A study released this week in, I think it was the British Journal of Medicine, in a big study looking at over 100,000 people, actually found no relationship wow. with, with sort of uh, night shift work and cancer. Now, it was more prevalent in women, uh, these odds ratios of cancer that was developed previously, but, you know, again, this is just one study, so that's kind of interesting that maybe that might be, not be the mechanism. So it's, chocolate does make you fat, chocolate doesn't make you fat, sleep does give you cancer, sleep deprivation doesn't give you cancer, is that what we're... Are we 
No, no, I don't think there's no negative impacts of sleep, to be honest with you, in terms of unless you sleep too much. But if you are sleeping between seven to nine hours, I am not aware if someone out there is aware of the negative impacts to their health. Please let me know because I'm yet to see them. So if you're sleeping, you know, 95% of people are going to need between seven to nine hours sleep. If you're sleeping at seven to nine hours of sleep, you are not going to have any negative impacts. So it's not going to be one of these kind of, oh, coffee does this, coffee does that, red wine does this, red wine does that. It's not going to be one of those things. Mm. The second thing which I think is really interesting is around electronic devices. Yeah. So I ran a study a couple of years ago at the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, I think it was actually the first time I met Paul Kale actually mm. um, doing some stuff there with mm. judo. So we had a uh, Japanese judo team, the Australian judo team, and the New Zealand judo team all in this big camp. Mm. And I was running a study looking at the effects of the removal of electronic devices. And that study is published um, in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, a US journal. We found when we took electronic devices away from athletes... Very young athletes, 18 years of age, for a period of 48 hours, no access to it during the day or the night, no improvement to sleep. Is that right? Yep, zero. So absolutely no statistical difference between those who had electronic devices and those who didn't. Mm. Found nothing. I also then worked with another lady called Madison Jones, who was on my podcast, who actually finished her PhD at the same time as me. Mm. Um, and Madison was looking at the effect of electronic devices as well. Now, she did a more comprehensive study than mine mm. in the laboratory, looking at melatonin, um, taking saliva samples. She did overnight polysomnography, which is the gold standard for measuring sleep and sleep disorders. Very controlled uh, study. And look at the next day performance measures. Yeah. And what she actually did was she looked at people using electronic devices before sleep. And then on another night, she had them basically like reading a newspaper mm. before sleep. Mm. She had them then on another night, you know, do, reading a boring magazine like Caravans or whatever, something that weren't interesting anyway, something completely opposite. All those conditions, no difference between them. So you would think that the effect of looking at bright light before bed would impact these measures of time to fall asleep and so on. Nothing was found. Is that right? Nothing. So the whole I, blue light thing's a theory? Well, Bullshit. there is a study that came out at Harvard a couple of years ago that showed that blue light and sort of these electronic devices impact sleep. Now, there is two things to watch out for. And this is where I get kind of pissed off when I read studies or when I see media stuff because the media spins into a story. Mm. Number one, there's a difference between statistically significant and clinically significant or clinically relevant, right? Mm. So the average person, when they fall asleep or go to bed, they have what's called sleep latency, the time to fall asleep. Mm. So sleep onset latency, sleep latency. That should be somewhere between 10 to 20 minutes. Right. If it's really early and they're falling asleep within a minute, maybe they got, I don't know, something wrong with them. If it's more than 20, 30 minutes, they got something wrong with them in Dude, terms of insomnia. I'm asleep in 30 seconds. Yeah, you might have something wrong with you. <laughs> um, Highly likely. Right, so, so that, that could be, you know, that could be an issue as well if people are sleeping, uh, taking too long to fall yeah. asleep, right? So this study found when they had people looking at Kindles or mm. whatever it might be, whatever device was in blue light, that... Group one that had devices, and let's say group two that didn't have devices, and I can't remember the numbers off my head, but let's say group one that had devices took 18 minutes to fall asleep, or yeah. 24 minutes to fall asleep, maybe it was, something like that. And the other group were 18 minutes to fall asleep. Mm. Now, statistically, there was a difference between the two of them. But is that really relevant? 24 minutes versus 18? Mm. Yeah, it might be slightly outside the clinical norms, but is it really relevant? Mm. I would say not really. Yeah, and so, you know, for me... I find that when I'm not sleeping well, it's got something to do with, you know, something I've been watching. Like I might have been watching, um, you know, MMA on my iPad. Yeah. It's probably more likely that watching some dude get pummeled on the ground for five minutes is probably exciting your brain more than the blue light. This is the very, content. This is very interesting. So last week I was in the Pilbara, northwest region of Western Australia, talking to oil and gas companies with a guy called Professor Russell Foster from Oxford. Mm. Now, Russell has got a very strong background in sort of circadian um, biology, chronobiology. He's written books called, I think, The Rhythms of Life. Mm. Been on the BBC. He's got a CBE, Commander of the British Empire. He's like a knight. I don't know. He sits around a round table, probably makes decisions <laughs> that I'm not part of. You know, he probably... Um, carries a sword. I'm not too sure. Anyway. Highly likely. Highly likely. He has elbow patches, so he must have a sword. Yes. Russell is a great guy, but Russell and I were discussing this last week. Is it the fact 
mm. and it's the blue light or the activity. Because yeah. I know when I'm dealing with um, elite individual athletes mm. and when I'm dealing with people in senior leadership roles, it's actually the activity beforehand. Yes, that's what I right? And so people go, oh, well, I have that F dot looks on my laptop. So, you know, everything's good because I'm not getting the blue, blue light. Yeah, but you're sitting there looking at spreadsheets at 10 o'clock mm. with this thing on. With huge amounts of money and numbers Huge amounts of money and, and, and stress and you're answering emails yeah. from some asshole yeah. that's emailing you from New yeah. York or wherever yeah. it might be. Yeah. You're trying to respond to people. Yeah, it's not the light. It's not the light. And so what we do know is that that sort of stimulus increase, increases cortisol, right? Yeah. And when cortisol increases... Whereas you read, you're reading a Tim Winton book on your Kindle and being carried away on his whimsical journey and then yeah. you fall asleep like a baby. Exactly, mm. right. And so we do know when we have that increase in sort of stimulus of, of stress, yeah. cortisol increases. And when cortisol increases, mm. melatonin is inhibited. So you can't, re- you know, you're going to have, you know, an effect on your melatonin. Yeah. And it's also going to, you know, affect your ability to kind Why of relax. No one questioned this when that blue light study first came out. It's like, hang on a second, it's not the blue light on the some, iPad. Some sleep scientists are pissed off. Yeah. I've heard other people, mm. you know, talk about that. But look, that's one study. And I'm not saying that the study is completely wrong because I wasn't involved in it. And, you know, we all need to be doing studies to move to kind of needle forward. But as scientists, this is what happens. It goes through peer review publication. And we should be all critiquing each other's work. And we should continue to be critical in a positive way to make yeah. it all better right mm. so i'm happy to take criticism of my work and i'll be guaranteed i'll be very critical of my work as well mm. but there is a difference between we'll say laboratory based studies and applied based and i try to do more applied based studies in the, the sort of real life world and collect observational and interventional data mm. we're actually working with you know athletes on the ground hence around my phd was with things like people like the western force mm. or groups like the australian institute of sports mm. so we want to be on the ground just a shout out to the western force by the way yeah go on the force come on um, how's Ian Pryor doing? Did he have some surgery recently? I, haven't, I yeah. saw him on Facebook. He had yeah. His shoulder surgery. I think or he had some new abs put in. New abs, did he? Yeah. He is very Can I get a nickname he, like he the is, Sitch without having an amazing 12 pack, mate? He is very overweight, though. Is he really? Yeah. I, I, I reckon he's probably 120 kilos Easy. at least. Easy. He's like the George Gregan of the Western Force. Uh, he's better looking. Well, he can't squat as much. You know. This could just be a whole podcast just paying out Ian Pryor. Ian Pryor, mm. or the past. Yeah. And He's coming on the podcast at some stage it? to talk about uh, leadership, which will be good because he, I've got to say, he's, he's, a, good, he's a good leader. He's done Look, a great job. All, all, jo- all joking aside about Ian, I have a lot of respect for Ian, and I'll tell you why. Um, he was on my podcast last year, Sleep for Performance Radio. Sleep. Oh, you got him first. Yeah, so I had him on speaking about mm. And i tell you what's really interesting. He's doing the circuit. He's doing the circuit, yeah. Uh, he's like Trump. Um <laughs> No, maybe, anyway, I'll keep moving. Um, you know, and I said this to Ian as well. He's not a massive guy. He's about the same size as me, a little bit bigger maybe. All the odds are against him. Mm. And that man was determined to play rugby. Mm. And he played super rugby. Mm. You know, he got Australian caps underage and so on. Mm. That guy is determined. You mm. know, and I think any young person out there should look to people like Ian about determination, whether it's be in sport or business or school or whatever. I find him very inspiring. Like mm. you know, and I and there's other guys as well in combat sports who may not be blessed with great physiques or they may not be very big, and you know the odds are stacked against them. Mm. But to keep to keep going, to mm. get up every day and go. And I tell you, for me, that kind of grit and that like that inner bastard inside someone is very admirable. I like that. Do you know what I've learned over the years um, from people like that? And this might come as a bit of a revelation to a few people listening. It's the people who are able to suffer in silence. And I'm not talking about mental fitness or mental health stuff. I'm talking about the people who are able to suffer in silence when they're training are the people who become very, very good at their sports. So rather than say, oh, this is really hurting, or this is killing me, or you know, you watch, you watch CrossFit athletes at, at the top level when they're going through the hardest workouts imaginable and they are suffering and they're suffering in silence. And someone like him is like doing his workload would be huge, you know, and he's just suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then getting out there and, and then and then doing it, doing the job. This brings up an interesting point because I had this discussion with someone recently. So mm. um, about 14, 15 months ago, I think around the time I was on your podcast, maybe a little bit before that, mm. I started swimming. Yeah. Mainly because I was a shit, shit swimmer. Yeah. I'd get into the pool the way 100 metres, I'd get out and I would ne- nearly collapse like walking to the change rooms. And now you swam to Cottesloe. Swam to Cottesloe. Cottesloe to... Rottnest. Rottnest. So... I'm new to Perth. <laughs> 20 years. So, um, then I 
sign up for port to pub. So I gradually increased over the year, over the course of the year. I went up to three k's, mm. then the four k's, five k's, eight k's, and then you know, and so on. So I end up doing a duo from what's called a port to pub race, which is three three weeks after the Rottnest Channel swim, mm. which goes from Leighton Beach near Fremantle to Rottnest. Mm. Anyway, it wasn't a great day in terms of seas <laughs> and all that, right? I didn't know any better. Yeah. And I didn't give a fuck, really. I was mm. like, I'm going to do this, okay? So there was two of us, myself and Laura, and we did a duo. So it was 20 minutes in, 20 mm. minutes off, right? And what was really interesting, like the first 10Ks was, was great. I felt good. And then I started getting kind of seasick. It was getting choppy. Stomach wasn't great. And 10 to 15Ks is generally where people start getting a bit sick. Well, you've drank a lot of water at that by that time when it's rough, I know. Yeah, so I was yeah. drinking water, I was drinking coffee, which I probably shouldn't have done. I was eating food, anyway, whatever no, it was. No, but you're drinking the salt water as well when you're breathing because um, you, you, yeah. you only need to take in a few mils each time to, to have taken in a couple of cups full of salt water yeah. uh, after a few kilometres. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I got into the water and I was like, oh, I'm not feeling great. And I'm starting to kind of get a bit more quieter as the race went on. But we had the radio on the boat, obviously with Skipper and the guys that paddle as well, like Matt and uh, Blair was skippering and Matt, uh, ex-military guy, was uh, one of the paddlers that goes with you, another guy mm. called Bruce, who swam the Channel Swim twice before, I think, maybe not three or maybe even three times. But anyway, I was right. in the water, I was like, oh man, I don't feel so good. I was swimming along and I puked. I just started turning my head to the side and projectile vomited. Turned again, puked, and I was like, oh well, fuck, I got sick, so I'll just keep getting Baby sick. The fish. So I got back into the boat, feeling sick, puked off the boat, so no matter where I was, I wasn't safe. But you know what really surprised me? I was like, right, I'm going to get sick, and I got quiet and whatever, but I was like, I'm going to do it. Mainly I was going to do it because I didn't want the guys to take the piss out of me if I dropped out. That was partly it. But two is I, I, I did want to finish it. You committed. I like that resi- I like that thing. I, if I come last, I still want to do it. But you know what really surprised me was how many people were called off the boats because of seasickness. So people were ringing up like the emergency services that were kind of mm. going on the race and going, oh, we've got someone here that's sick that needs to be brought to shore. It's fucking seasickness. You haven't been shot. No. Like just get sick and get on with it. Yeah. Or get onto the boat and go back to shore. Like, and do you know why, why what, you need to be pulled well, out of that situation? One of the right? interesting things about that is I bet a lot of those people, well, all of those people lined up and they all had in their mind's eye that they were going to swim across there. But none of them had in their mind's eye that in five kilometers time you're going to be burlying up the water next year. Whereas if you have that, if you have that at the start and go, right. I, I reconcile the fact that halfway across there, because it was rough as hell that day, I reconcile the fact that halfway across there I'm going to be sick. And now you've reconciled that. And when it happens, it's like it's no fucking shock to you. It's no surprise. Just crack on. Yeah, and it might sound like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, trying shit. Those no, but you were able to quickly, you were able to quickly build a new frame of reference and go, right, the, the, the fairy tale isn't the fairy tale anymore. Now the fairy tale is I'm going to swim here with this. Yeah, 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 and it's like, and that's what comes out, like you know, my military experience or ultra running. Is people think it's all like, oh, cross the line, hands near, whoa, whoa, whoa. They don't see you like eighty k's in a race for a hundred k race through the mountains, puking, shitting. That's me. At, that's me at four kilometer mark at the moment of a five k run. <laughs> <laughs> so people don't see that, Holy you know. Shit. And I just think it's interesting. And I think you're right. And this book mm. comes back to another thing that I'm very interested in, which is Stoic philosophy. Yeah. And Stoic philosophy always kind of. You know, in essence, we'll get back to like, well, what's the worst case scenario? Mate, I'm can being li- drawn to it now as well. Can you yep. live with that? Mm. Can you live with that? And I, I was actually resigned to the fact of before I got on that boat on that day, I might puke for 20 k's today. Mm. I might be vomiting for eight, eight hours and I might be feeling like shit. But am I going to keep going? Mm. And yeah, am I going to win it? Not a fear of the it. Next person am I going to come hear, last? Mostly. The next person <laughs> I hear saying or, or, or see on Instagram or somewhere saying, just living my best life, y- you're not. Because you're not being challenged. You, 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 you're saying you're living your best life because you've got an amazing photo of you riding a horse or a unicorn mm. through, a, through a fucking desert with beautiful trees all around you. That's not living your best life. Living your best life is going, Jesus, that was bloody difficult and I got through that. That swim, I, sw- I puked for 15 Ks and I got to the other end of it. Just living my best life, that's, why that's have, living your best life. That's dude. why I have that picture on my yeah. desktop. Mm. It's on there. Of me vomiting into the water. And I look at that and I laugh and I go, I still did it. Mm. You know, and I think that's what sometimes we mm. need, you know, if you're either an amateur athlete, an elite athlete, or even somebody in business, is we need that res- that kind of pushback or to test ourselves in those resilient situations. Now, I do it through exercise, but you might want to do it through business. Mm. You might want to do it through taking on an extra course of work. You might want to even do it by going to a night class once a week. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. You don't have to go out and r- swim 20Ks. You don't have to go out and run 100Ks. Mm. That's just because that's what I like doing. 
for some people that might be doing a park run every week, five Ks, that might be what it is. Mm. And start there and see what it is. I do like I do want to say that I think that the whole idea, stoic idea of suffering in silence, um, is worth exploring. Now, caveat with I don't mean suffer depression in silence or anything like that. That's different. That's a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. 100% should be reaching out for help, you know, if, if you're depressed, not suffering in silence. But from a physical perspective, from a training perspective, you know, that the, the five-kilometre swims you were doing in the pool – infinitely harder than swimming in the ocean actually you know when because you're bored that is suffering in silence you know or, or doing a you know doing murph every day like my mate anthony platter did for 30 30 days like that is there is some very dark moments during that mm. you know you're suffering in silence you yeah. know something to that mm. from a performance perspective the ability to suffer in silence um and just but, get on and do the bloody job. But you know, sometimes, Bram, you don't even have to suffer in silence. You can suffer while it's being vocal, but when you come out the other end of it, you're going to suffer as well. I'll mm. tell you another one as I just well. don't want people to tell me it's hurting. I know it's hurting, dude. It's a thruster. You've got you've got a hundred of them to do, just and, and, you, and you've got to do five burpees every minute. It's called Kaosu. Suffer. Yeah. Do it. Or just break it down to manageable chunks. Think mm. about getting through mm. ten, then another ten. Mm. You know, and just move, break, just, break that complex just go and, down. Just find somewhere in your mind yeah. and suffer. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about um, rituals before sleep. Rituals before sleep. Now that we know that the blue light is probably a myth. Well, it's it's not, I don't know if it's a myth. We just, we just don't know. I think, it's, I, th- I think it's early days to be definitive about it, you know. And I think here's another one is just to, to wrap, off, um, wrap up that point as well. For some people, it may actually help. So for people who are travelling or away or travel a lot for work or military operatives that are overseas, flicking through Instagram for 10 minutes or Facebook and seeing their their son or their daughter or their loved one doing something, it's a nice way to have that social connection. Mm. You know, So these electronic devices and catching up with things like that may not always be a bad thing. We've mm. got to think about, to your point, about mental health, mm. stress, connectivity, mm. all those type of things because they do have some positive benefits as well. So that, that can be something. Mind you, if you're seeing... You know, a million Instagram influencers just living their best life. Like, just block those fuckers. Yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I. And don't watch MMA. Anyway, go yeah, on. Yeah, you could do, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take my own advice. So rituals before sleep. I think it's really important to have, like, a kind of a wind down um, before that. So one of the things I like to do personally and what I recommend for people to do is to you know have low levels of lighting in your in your house or apartment, whatever mm. it is. So something I did a couple of years ago is I put dimmers in for most of the rooms, so I can dim those lights as the evening mm. goes goes on, you know. And so I can or have low light. And that's a circadian rhythm type. Well, it's not. There is um, there is lighting out now. I think Philips is working on what's called circadian smart lighting <laughs> that will change over a twenty four hour period. Of course, so. which is like when you um, when you go into Dreamliner. Mm. The lights change and so on. So that's that kind of stuff, but it's very expensive. Mm. I think they're looking at how they can bring that down in lower cost. But even just dimmers having lower levels of light, bringing that looks level right down. Because the world, the world changed right during the industrial revolution when, when they went from having candles in in yeah. all of the lampposts to electric lighting. It it not only changed industry, but it changed families and what families oh. did. And and monks, for instance, monks yeah, yeah. no longer got up and did stuff at two in the morning now because yeah. they had lighting whenever they wanted it, so all I, that sort of... So I had a historian on my podcast. No, where the fuck I was going with the monks thing, but anyway. I don't know, maybe you want to be a priest. Um, this this year, a couple of months ago, I had a guy called Roger uh, E. Kirk. Uh, e. Kirsch, E. Kirk, on my podcast, and he's a sleep historian. Mm. And so he's written books about this, and we had a good conversation about this, and he's at Virginia Tech University. Mm. And uh, I think it was episode two of season three. What an interesting guy. Yeah, he was a really interesting guy yeah. to talk about. And he, he actually, he, he's like, you know, published books on this and papers on this about that sort of change and the impact on society about, you know, the wide scale use of electricity or the industrial revolution and what's happened because then we were able to light the night and we were able to work through the night. And not, and not get killed walking around as yeah, well. There's yeah, all like, sorts of other. Yeah. So, and, and so this. I'm using it, London as an, as an example in my mind of. What must have happened over a course of, let's say, not even a decade, mm. would have been three or four years when they went from from street lighting being candles or flame, you know, some sort yeah, of yeah. flame thing to to full electric lighting. Yeah, yeah, that would have been. It's crazy. Would have been incredible to live during that period and see 
yeah, see the change. It's probably similar to the period we lived through where we went from cassette decks to mini discs to the Apple. Yeah, or like having no internet, growing up with encyclopedias, mm. or not every house having a phone. Yeah, what well, kids can't now, even get their heads around that. Yeah, mm. people laugh when I tell them that. Mm. So you're you're right, a massive change in, in sort of. Uh, but that is an that is an that is an amazing, incredible incremental, like very fast incremental change that would have had huge, profound effects on a whole, you know, on oh, the world. Yeah, yeah, mm. and the world's sleep. Yeah, for sure, and we know that like sleep now in the Western world, like the light access economics. What the fuck would Jocko have done? Well, you see, he'd have been he'd been he'd have been. Jocko's an interesting case, right? He's asleep for. F- this you know, I asked him on the you podcast. Asked me fifty questions here. Hold on. I asked him on the podcast <laughs> how what he sleeps six hours a night. Yeah, yeah, which is which is still within the realms of is it not? Uh, it's on the lower side now. In saying that, I would say here's something. Come back to the point at the start about people falling okay. between seven to nine hours. Yeah, that's ninety five percent of people, mm. right? Roughly, mm. you're going to have people that need less sleep, but you're also going to have people that need more sleep. Now, Matt Walker, who was on Rogan's podcast, was talking about this. He's a sleep scientist, neuroscientist guy as well. And he reckons it's somewhere about 1% of people need less than sort of seven hours sleep a night, right? Yeah. Maybe Jocko is one of those people. Mm. Now, a lot of people come and ask me, can you train yourself to do that? <laughs> Not really. Mm. Because if you need X amount of sleep, you need X amount of sleep. The other thing about getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning is you are inhibiting or reducing the amount of time you spend in REM sleep. Now, that might work for Jocko and it might work for some other people, but I have had people come to me and go, I'm getting up at four o'clock every morning, I feel tired. Uh, maybe sleep in. It works for Jocko's branding. Oh, you but, know, but can I just right? finish, just, just, I just finish this off? I actually agree. I really enjoy Jocko's podcast and I like Jocko's attitude about discipline because he's right. Yeah. People are not disciplined. Agreed. But you can still get up at six and exercise or you can still go to the gym every day at lunchtime or in the evening mm. and you can still be disciplined. If you're a shift worker or you're working outside the realms of, mm. you know, normal nine to five, it's about having that discipline. I think even Jocko spoke about this in the podcast, you know, you don't have to get, like, I don't think he says you have to do that, but you've got to make time yeah. to get shit done. Yeah, and right. I, I fully agree with him. And I think his messaging is good, but does four o'clock work for everybody? Maybe not. No, no, no. And when people say they don't have time to do a workout. Oh, I hate this. Yeah. It does my head in. Yeah. So, I can, I can roll out of bed and you know, one burpee every minute and then add it, add a burpee to it every minute and then see if you can get to 20 minutes. There's your workout done. Or what one I said to you today is mm. here's a great one when you're traveling. You don't have to bring exercise gear with you. Leave on your dirty jocks from the day in your hotel room. Set a timer on your phone. Do seven minutes of burpees. Mm. See, how that, see, how, see, how, see how you feel after that. Rest for three minutes. Do seven minutes of air squats. Yeah. See how you go there. And that's non-stop. That's non-stop. That's 17 minutes. That's actually 14 minutes of work over 17 minutes. Mm. You can do that by the time you finish up work. Mm. you got to go home, maybe go for a meal mm. from work, whatever it might be, or you can do it on lunch break. Mm. Do that and see how fucked up you feel. Mm. My, I've done it before. My heart, my legs, my lungs are burning mm. 17 minutes. So this thing about not having time, make time. Mm. That does my head in as well. And this feeds back into the whole thing about sleep. A lot of people who have trouble with sleep, mm. when you start doing interventions, mm. right, such as exercise, mm. three to four times a week of a high-intensity aerobic exercise, guess what? Mm. Sleep improves. Have you ever laid there at night after a really hard run in the afternoon or evening and your legs are just like throbbing and yep. you can't sleep because of that? Yep. So- hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's something to when you do your exercise, obviously. So from a timing point of view to mm. get the best cardiovascular efficiency and the best time to lift weights is probably in the afternoon somewhere between 4 to 7 p.m. Yeah, right. right? So you got time to recover. Time to recover and then go to sleep. If you're lying in bed and your legs are aching and, you know, your heart's kind of beating, I'd say, you know, if you finish at 7 and you go to bed at 10 and you're sitting like that, one, you may be overtraining. Mm. Two, you may not be hydrated correctly. Mm. But three, you may have low levels of iron or you may have low levels of magnesium in your body. So a lot of people who Mm. exercise a lot may get depleted 
um, they got this kind of restless legs feeling, they got achy legs. Mm. So nighttime supplementation prior to bed, after your dinner, iron and magnesium can be very beneficial in alleviating those symptoms of sore And it's so cheap now to go and get a full lot of blood work done. Like I do it once a year. Yeah. And then you can get all of those levels tested so that you can work out, um, you basically work out what, what um, you know, nutrition you need to change or what supplements you need to take. Yeah, yeah it depends on the blood, blood, blood work you're getting done. But again, without even getting blood work done, if you're going to bed at night after exercise and you're feeling like you're having difficulty falling asleep, mm. iron and magnesium can be very good supplements mm. to take, low cost. And with magnesium, taking powdered magnesium, very good because it gets absorbed into the GI tract and it's really good for promoting sleep with people. Also helps cramping. That, yeah. 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 We so used to we used to put magnesium supplements in our in our you know stuff when we're doing long distance marches and things. But be careful if you don't have any food in your stomach, you will get the shits. Mm. So mm. just be careful with that's, that. That's so. why you, that's why you use army <laughs> army ration cheese to negate the the shit effect of magnesium. Yeah. Um I think I have some army biscuits still in me from twenty years ago. I'm 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 on a crazy, we're going to talk about it at the end, but I'm going to bring it up now. I'm on this crazy challenge to drop below 10% body fat by the end of the year, but trying not to lose too much weight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm tracking. I'm tracking I'm tracking okay. But I'm wondering if if sleep can be my secret weapon to that. Because if I'm sleeping, I'm not punching food in my fat little face. So why do you want to be below 10% body fat? It's just a goal. But why? Why not? Well, that's an aesthetic goal. Look good goal. naked? That's an aesthetic goal. Well, there's what's a lot of reasons, actually. Uh, actually, there's a lot of reasons. Um, 10% is a number that I've given myself. And the reason I've given myself that is I've been at just over 10% before. And my performance in everything was better. Um, and especially in the gymnastics area. So handstand push-ups, handstand walking, Anything, anything, um, ring, ring, you know, I mean, ring muscle ups, ring pull ups, ring dips, um, all that weight. My times on my running are, are far <laughs> faster, obviously, because you're not carrying body armor. Um, but it's just a, it's just a, it's just a number. It's just a line in the sand for me to, to to move towards. Now, is it my optimal body weight for my type? It's probably around twelve percent, actually. So it's just a number. To 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 achieve, um, for no other reason. But anyway, we're not dwelling on the number; we're dwelling on sleep. Yeah. So I, I would well. First of all, I would mm. say for people out there, like this comes back to your comments about Instagram and front of men's health. Like those states mm. of body fat are achieved for a very short period of time. Yeah, that's exactly right. So oh, right? mate, that's di- that'll be di- that'll be days. Very short yeah. period, right? And so for a lot of people having below a ten percent body fat and maintain that, oh, it's virtually unrealistic, right? It's yeah. very hard and. and we no, see also as well that a lot of people with very low body fat percentage get sick a lot, mm. and so there's a very there's a difference between being healthy mm. and being fit. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's very just you might look fit. you might fit. look fit, but you mm. might be healthy, right? Yeah, we see this a lot with, with elite athletes, especially in combat sports and contact sports. And so there is charts that you can refer to online that actually show. So for someone around our age, probably between thirteen to seventeen percent mm. is fine. Mm. It's good. It's probably mm. in the top. You know percentiles of what what's recommended but to come back on your question can sleep help you reduce body fat mm. most definitely so when we sleep or when we don't sleep what gets affected is two appetite regulating hormones called ghrelin and leptin right and so ghrelin kind of grows the hunger within you and leptin will suppress it and so if you basically are not getting enough sleep so we know from studies in laboratories and in the field that if people are not getting enough sleep these appetite regulating hormones are you know sort of our sink and you're basically going to be craving shitty, sugary foods. So and do that? Do they affect cortisol and stress as well? Yeah, because yeah. the less sleep you have, um, you know, you may have an increase in cortisol during the day. You can't be, basically be resilient to this. Um, ah. I'm not too sure about the. Uh, so sleep may have a, a link to resilience as a, because it's also elevating cortisol from a pituitary gland or something like that. Well, I think the mechanism may be, and I'm not an endocrinologist, and I may be getting outside my realm here, but. Um, which just goes to show there's always something to learn and I could be getting this all arse about face but I think when people we know that when people are sleep deprived they have very poor skills or very poor ability to cope with stresses and mm. um, when people are awake for a long time basically as you would have seen the military well, yeah, less poor resilient. decisions less resilient 
mm. and then when something does happen mm. artifi- artificial sort of or stimulus this stimulus happens to them increasing cortisol inability to kind of cope with things mm. and it's all um, mixed and then plus then the leptin and ghrelin which may be independent of cortisol but I need to actually a good question I need to go and have a look at this because uh, something in the back of my head is saying there is mm. um, and so this whole thing is a cyclical nature now what drives that is low amount of sleep or sleep deprivation but then if you start gaining weight or your body fat gets too high or your BMI gets too high, so for example, when someone's got a BMI of 31 and above, 90% chance that you're going to have sleep apnea. So if you, if you have sleep apnea, you're basically not breathing enough overnight. You mm. have this reduced amount of oxygen into your system. Your blood oxygen saturation level drops. Mm. You're going to have what's uh, EEG arousal, so you're going to wake up. And if you're waking up more often, you're going to get less sleep. So it becomes so a... Cyclical, right. right. Yeah, so, okay, soft licking ice cream. And so you become more obese because you're obese. Yeah, and you know what's interesting too from an elite athlete point of view is that the BMI is not a marker of sleep apnea in elite athletes. It's the body fat percentage, but more importantly, where the body fat is. Don't tell me it's around the waist, right? Well, for dudes, it's mostly, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah, which yeah. is where I store my fat when I'm stressed. The first place it goes is off my arms and chest. Yeah, and then the last place you can get rid of it's off your hips. I actually don't care about body fat anymore. I think I'm sitting at about 16, 17%, but I don't yeah. really care. All I'm caring, I care about now is performance and yeah. how I feel. Yeah, yeah. Because as I get older, I know it's going to be harder for me. I'm 41 this year. It's going to be harder for me to lose mm. body fat or maintain a low level. But also what's interesting is... But you've got a good diet too. Oh, you you look, eat pretty I, well. No, I like shit, man. I don't drink. That's probably... I don't drink alcohol. I do drink coffee every day. I, I eat pretty well. But I do splurge out like on a Friday night. With you don't have red wine? No. It's good for you? No, I don't drink. It okay. doesn't do me any good. Okay. It's not good for my mental health. This is the it's not good Irish for army coming out in you. No, I just, it, look, alcohol never sat well with me. Don't get me wrong, for those people who know me years ago would say, oh, well, Jesus, he drank enough. And I did. And I had a good so time. So you're finished. You've just finished. I you just drank enough. Yeah, I just drank enough. <laughs> I've had my, I've my limit. But for me, it's probably more around yeah. uh, mental health, performance thing. I feel very... For days afterwards, even two or three drinks, I feel pretty grey and pretty, pretty mm. shit. Mm. And I just can't function correctly. Fair enough. And so, it, mm. like, if I had two drinks on a Friday night, on Tuesday I would still feel it. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I love whiskey. I love it, and I and I really do there miss whiskey. There we go. There's the Irish. I really miss it. Mm. Right? I miss Jamison's. Irish whiskey and I miss scotches. But I tell you, it's not worth it for me because yeah. I will just feel like shit for days. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. So yep. it's more about how I feel and Good performance discipline. as opposed to. Um, I saw you go off coffee for a while as well. Yeah, about two days. I've been shaking like a shitting dog. <laughs> no, it was a while ago. It was over a year ago. You were off it for for a while. I took, I think, maybe a week or two off. But yeah. I, I, I love my coffee. Yeah, yeah, I do <laughs> it's too. My, it's my own, only voice. But I, I do look. You will see me, you know, smashing a big block of dairy milk or a bowl of ice cream or whatever. So I think you have to have those little treats. But mm. I do exercise pretty regularly, probably between eight to ten hours a week. Mm. Uh, if not more, and I exercise doing, you know, conditioning. I like kettlebells and cardiovascular type workouts. Mm. I do jujitsu. I try to get in some yoga and stretching, and I also swim about 10Ks a week. Mm. Still? So I like variation. Yeah, so I'm swimming, doing a lot of technique stuff at the moment um, mm. in the pool because I want to do a solo crossing mm. next year. Jeez. In March, I want to swim from Leighton Beach to Rottnest continuously, solo, without for a nice distance of 19.7 kilometers. Yeah, nice, mate. So that's the goal at the moment. Um, so jet lag, do you suffer from jet lag? I think everybody suffers from jet lag and it just depends on, on which direction you're going. So in general, traveling west is easier to cope with. So if you went from Perth to London would be easier as opposed to going from London to Perth. Mm. So eastward travel is more harder to adapt. On average, every time zone you cross one hour is a time zone. Every time zone you cross will take you a day to get used to it. Right. So if you go from here to Sydney, mm. two hours, about two days to get used to it. Mm. So what you have inside your head? Um, yeah, I heard. I heard it's, it's a. It's. I heard somewhere once it was. Um, it was. Yeah, a day for every hour. R- roughly, yeah. yeah, roughly. And so we got this little thing inside our brain at the base of the hypothalamus, which is called the SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And we may have spoke about this last time, mm. and it's a disruption of that. Similarly, this happens with shift workers as well. This gets disrupted because that's synchronized through the optic nerve, takes in light and dark cycle, synchronizes this. This sends a feedback loop back to the pineal gland to release melatonin. So we are what's called diurnal animals. We are controlled by light. So... Coming back to my point earlier on about night shift work, even if it doesn't cause cancer, it's pretty shift for you. Mm. Right? It's not good for you because we're meant to be asleep at night 
and I work during the day. Mm. People who say they adapt and get used to night shift, they don't. They might be able to tolerate a bit better than other people, but you never can flip and become a nighttime person. Mm. It is not possible. Mm. Okay? It's just not possible. So what happens when we have jet lag is it's basically a disruption mm. of this SCN. Mm. So when you get to a new location, your body wants to go to sleep yeah. at 7 o'clock in the morning and so on. It knocks so me around just perfect to Sydney. Oh, especially when it's three. I, I know it's now at this time of the year, it's a two-hour time difference, so I go yeah. to Melbourne next week. But when it's a three-hour time difference, that really screws me. Two hours, not so bad, but yeah. three hours really kills me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, but there must be some good apps to control jet lag and all that sort of stuff. Uh, just can you mute the microphone while I smash you in the head? <laughs> no, there's not. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a segue. <laughs> um, no, uh, basically, all the apps on your phone are shit. Right, mm. because well, even the one that you put where you put your phone on the bed and it, and it and it tells you if you've been rolling around and when you're deep sleeping. <laughs> uh, Next question. No, they're all crap. Like basically, if you look at what's called polysomnography, what about my Garmin watch? The gold standard in the laboratory where it's looking at EEG in your head and all mm. these sort of things, and we work out deep sleep from applying electrodes to your head to your chin. There's no way a phone can do that. No. Right, the phone line in your bed, vibration from you, your partner, a dog jumping up and down, mm, earthquake. Save your money. It might be only a dollar. Don't worry about it. Mm. You're better off writing it down on a piece of paper. Mm. Or or contacting you and paying the money. Yeah, and but like these apps, like doing a study, probably. Yeah, these apps are just absolutely crap. Now, some of the wrist worn devices, like the Garmin's, the Fitbit's, the Jawbones, whatever it might be, you know, they're not bad. They're good at giving you rough estimates of when you went to bed, when you got up. Well, a lot of these and they're tracking your heart rate data, I guess. Yeah, so the heart rate variability has got some correlation with sleep stages. Yeah. So they're good just to give you some rough numbers. Yeah. But again, don't hang your hat on them. Just use it for what it is and don't get too stressed out about it as well. But there is some good scientific bands, isn't there, that, that people like you use to yeah. monitor sleep. So there's a band called the Ready Band that we validate in the laboratory and has been validated by the US military that we use. And that gives back, you know, robust measures of... yeah. You know, sleep and performance and so on, and we use those a lot in industry. Oh, does that do performance as well? Well, it's got a performance metric that comes out called effectiveness, which goes through a specific proprietary algorithm that comes out, takes all those factors into account. Can you use that for CrossFit? Well, you can use whatever. Yeah, doesn't matter whatever you want to use it for. You can use it. So, Mm. like anything, you just got to pay the money. Yeah, (laughs) I guess the person who designs, well, the person who designs the app that can track um, your fitness in CrossFit through moving. Moving weight and power and speed because you you know, you know what I mean um, because you you may be doing ten sets of ten thrusters at forty five kilograms and you need to be able to calculate that and then your heart rate during that. Yeah, but do you not think like we're completely gone crazy with data as well in some ways that we're not actually tapping into how we feel? Yeah, I do. I, I um, it's an interesting it's an interesting whole nother podcast actually because. A lot of the stuff I do for triathlon, for instance, I can be 90 kilograms and feeling a lot healthier and I'll be a lot slower in a triathlon, but I, I feel better generally. Generally, And if I don't use any data, I wouldn't have known I'm going any slower. But yeah. then when I use the data and I'm, and I'm 75 to 80 kilograms and I'm looking at the data and now I'm producing less watts, more speed, you know, running – four minute 40 kilometers instead of five minute 40 you know but i still feel the same because you generally go to where to where it's comfortable for a long distance race but whereas with crossfit when i go away from it for three or four months and then come back to it jesus christ it's like it's like being reborn again and having to bloody go through all that pain because you're so so used to that 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 pain and that because let's face it if you're and I've had this argument with people before, but if you think you're fit because you're a triathlete or you think that you're fit because you're a long-distance runner or a marathon runner, actually what you are is an, it's an outlying sport. It's a, it's a sport on the on – the, it's a fitness on the fringes of fitness. You're not fit for other things. You're not moving weight. You're not testing power. You know, that's why I guess, you know, CrossFit is the sport of fitness as opposed to an outlying specific sport. Yeah, look, I like the I like the theory and the intent behind CrossFit. I do question some of the methods and some of the workouts, but in saying that, I try to optim I try to live and optimize my life like that. So I've got these different domains that I'll work in. Let's say, so there's my whole 
you know, my whole goals within work, mm. grow a business, I want to work with different clients, I want to work with different things, I want to mm. help people, I want to donate money, I want to do all these things. Variability. Like, right, variability. And as you can see here in my office on the board, there's a lot of variation of clients on our board, right? Mm. So we want to have all that variability because I like that. Secondly, in my own life, I want to read different books on history, Stoic philosophy, mm. Peter Roosevelt, you know, whatever I want to learn about, I'll do that. I like a lot of history, politics and philosophy, so I'll mm. want to learn that. In my exercise life, we'll say that's why I like to do things like long distance running. I wanted to challenge running 100 miles. I did that. And it's not about ticking a box. Is I want to be kind of competent in different domains, right? Mm. So I know now for me as a human that I can run 100 miles at altitude. Mm. I know now that I can swim probably 10Ks in open water. Mm. I know now as a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, I can defend myself somewhat. Mm. Done some wrestling, some MMA training, some boxing, a bit of yeah, you know, whatever. Brown belts. Handy. <laughs> Pretty legit. And I'm, look, I'm not a crazy competitor, mm. but I know, well, not that. your brown belt standard. Yeah. I, I don't know that, you know, I'm always going to win in a confrontation, but I'm going to feel pretty confident if something kicks off that I can defend myself yeah. to some ability. Yep. You know, I do a lot of yoga as well to kind of calm my mind to be an, a kind of an antagonist to that and to stretch out my body and allow a release and also to give myself a different challenge. Okay. Holding downward dog the, or a plank for two minutes is completely different. The cross, the, sorry, the, the BJJ notwithstanding, because skill is it should be resident in your brain and stay there to, to a certain degree oh, yeah. the fitness the fitness is different right so a, a brown belt in bjj is regardless of their fitness or whatever is going to have a certain understanding of where their body is and where their body isn't against a chump yeah, a certain level of competency yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay agree, yeah. whereas a hundred mile race at altitude like i i put it to you that if you lined up for a hundred mile race tomorrow at altitude you are not going to be successful tomorrow because you haven't no, done the lead-up training to that. I agree. But what would, what would give me the success about going back in and training mm. for it, or even if I was put on the spot now and I had to run 100 miles for my life, I know I could do it over time. Would I do it as fast? Probably not. But I know I've done it before, so I know I can do it again. You've got a frame of reference. You've got a frame of well, reference, well, right? And I know where the well, shit's going to Well, I don't know. If, I mean, I think there'd be some people out there with some PhDs in exercise physiology that would argue with you and say that if, if, you've, if you've lined up for a 100-mile endurance race... You've, you've done all of the lead-up work to that race, which means that a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the muscle tendons, a lot of the ligaments, all of those sort of things have also been training in, in line with that race. And that's why you got through that race uninjured. But if you lined up for it now without doing that lead-up, you say you'd be able to get to it and finish it because you've done it before, but probably not. I disagree. You reckon you yeah, would do it I, uninjured? I, I think for me as a person, I am so influenced by my mind. Mm. Because I tell you why, Ooh. I ran a 100k race one year, first mm. year I ran a mm. 100k race, and I did like 16 hours. Mm. I did less training the next year mm. in terms of running, mm. did a bit more like CrossFit type stuff. I was lifting kettlebells. Could just be steps. the CrossFit got you through. No, I was doing like that kind yeah, of philosophy yeah. about like running up and down Jacob's Ladder, these, these steps. I was mm. lifting kettlebells, I was doing body weight stuff. Mm. And so I had a bit more variation, mm. knocked two and a half hours off my time. Mm. Why? Because I've been through that before. Mm. That's why. So I yeah, think yeah. actually we underestimate sometimes. Yes, I, I don't disagree. There's a massive uh, physiology component in it and adaptation and training and getting mm. ready. No two ways about it. But for me personally, in a non-scientific environment, I am really influenced by my mind. I'm just trying to ask you the hard questions because you and I are too, we're too similar because I'm, I'm the same. I will, I will, if I've done something before, regardless of whether I'm prepared for it or not, I will back myself. I'll I'll back, I'll go, I'll do this. But I tell you what will be, will will not be the same is the recovery. Mm. So if I've trained well and I've done it, I recover pretty good. Mm. If I haven't trained and I do it, I'm going to be in a world of hurt for three weeks Mm. afterwards. That's the difference. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. the, that's the massive difference. I, I did, would be fucked up for weeks. <laughs> I did that Olympic um the Olympic cr- um triathlon last year and I remember going out of the swim about 3 minutes 3 minutes slower than I did it the year before. But the difference was the year before it was a 1.9 kilometer swim because it was a half Ironman and this one was a you know it was <laughs> it was an Olympic distance so it was 1.5 3 minutes slower. And throwing up on the way out the water. And I thought, that I am in for a bad day in the office here. And it wasn't, it was a different type of race for me. It was more of a, um, it was more of a psychological battle mm. than a physical battle, that race. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I still did a 10K in 50 something minutes, under 50, maybe under. But at the end of it, 
which is which is fairly moving for the fact that it was probably in the high thirties. Yeah, thirty something degree, thirty eight. Mm. Don't go to don't go to Dubai and do an Olympic distance when you come out of Australian bloody winter. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to be said for adaptation, heat, heat adaptation, and in training in the heat does it does amazing things. I think it's it's on par with with altitude. Yeah, so there is actually some studies out there saying that if you train in 35 degrees or more, 35 degrees Celsius, and I could be wrong on the numbers here, someone please correct me, that is the same as training at 6,000 feet. I've heard something similar, yeah. it's not, And we're not talking about just going for a light jog, we're talking, you know, Yasso 800s and 400s and, you know, 200 metre intervals and stuff like that. So you're hurting, yeah. you are training hard. Yeah, and I'm not big. I'm not very good in the heat myself, but I think that really did help me training in the summer here before I did that hundred mile in mm. um, in the US and um, the Leadville 100. Training the heat of the 40 degree days here in Paris and doing a seven hour run in those environments with with no altitude, but that heat yeah. did help me in terms of you know building that resilience as well mm. as those environmental factors. But again, I think it comes back to what we're saying, like about that kind of theory and philosophy behind CrossFit, you know, and talk about outliers in different sports. You know, for me, and you're probably the same, I want to be kind of proficient in a few different yeah. domains. Mm-hmm. I want to keep varying it as well. And I also find as well as I'm getting older, in my brain, I'm like I'm like a 16-year-old, you know, I still think I can, I'm indestructible, but the recovery is becoming harder. So what I've really become conscious of now in the last two or three years is actually varying my training. So Monday I'll swim, Tuesday I'll be jujitsu, Wednesday will be yoga, Thursday will be swim, Friday will be weights, you know, that sort of way. Mm. I'll go through mm. it, mm. and the intensity might vary as well. So I'll keep doing those sessions, but if I'm feeling a bit under par, I might lower the intensity of the session. Mm. So it's constant variation across the week, and I'm not getting bored either, or I'm not, you know, burning out in one domain. So from an optimization perspective, would you increase and decrease sleep dependent on the amount of training you've done? Like, delib- like pe- some people eat less calories on a day where they're not doing much work. Yeah. And then they increase calories, obviously, for the training effect. Would it be the same with sleep? Well, or does it just naturally happen? Well, I think naturally it does happen. So we don't always like you know we say between seven nine hours sleep, but sometimes we get five six hours. You know, life gets in the way. We've had a late night last night. We had to get up early this morning to have a meeting, whatever it is. I don't stress about that. Let ebb and flow. But you know, if you're constantly trying to get most of your time between seven nine hours, I think that's really that's really good. And can you catch up? Uh, the scientific community would say, no, once those negative effects have been kind of done. banked or done, that's it. Mm. What you can do is basically optimize or sleep bank before, mm. um, you know, and kind of concentrate on improving your sleep before a period of deprivation. And we see this in special forces. There's been some papers published around this in the US that those special forces operatives who do sleep bank or sleep optimize before they go through a period of deprivation can be really beneficial. Mm. We now, talked about that. Yeah, yeah it's for, good. For other people as well. Sleep you, is a weapon. Yep, can be. Um, and I think the question was about um, deprivation of sleep or reducing sleep to kind of get used to that. I think that can be helpful for some people. For me, training for like 100-mile runs, 100K races, where I knew I was going to be up all night, we would do things like with some other guys, we would like run from 9 o'clock to maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. Go home, go to bed, but get up around 7 the next morning, mm. you know, and then go for a run in the afternoon. So we kind of break it up like that. Mm. Get used to kind of, number one, uh, running later in the evening after you've been awake all day and you've worked or whatever yeah. and we go and do that also gets used to running at night time because running at night time with a torch is very different than running during the day people yeah. think it's the same but it's not um, we do other things like get up at 4 in the morning and we go and do like 6 hour kind of mm. power marches in the hills around Perth to get used to transitioning from dark into light so I think kind of replicating those conditions it's a weird feeling feel. isn't it yeah and it's mm. really interesting because when you've been awake all day and then you go into the night and then you see the sunrise come up again the next mm. day, whether it's mm. from a military or racing perspective or adventure racing or shift workers. Do that multiple days in a row. Yeah. You know, people think they're going to be resilient and get through it. Yeah. They're pretty fucking doughy by day too. Like what about, um, <laughs> have you ever done or have you heard anyone who's done studies on meditation and whether or not meditation provides the same sort of um, effect as sleep? Uh, so... The, the short answer is no. Again, if anybody finds any studies, let me know. We collected some pilot data last year at a monastery here in Perth, looking at people doing a meditation retreat over a three-day weekend. Mm. And we looked at sleep before, during the meditation retreat, and afterwards. Mm. Some interesting 
effects of positive sleep after the medita- after the retreat, mm. a bit less sleep on the retreat itself. I know for myself, I've done a silent retreat last year and I'll be doing another one this year. Uh, for me, I was actually personally surprised because my sleep really improved and I needed less sleep. Now that gives me... Are you running that? No, 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 no. I was. I went to a monastery. Do you do? Do you do that? Silent retreats. Like, can you imagine? I can't shut my mouth for two minutes. Can you imagine <laughs> saying? Can you imagine saying to a group of people, "Hey, um, come on a sleep retreat. We're just going to take all the technology off you. Going to feed you. Going to make you do some PT, and then we're going to set the conditions for you to sleep properly." I think it would be uh, very beneficial. So when I came back from that that meditation retreat, mm. I felt really good, and I actually think that I know, I'm not a, a regular practicing kind of meditator so to speak i do like stoic philosophy and buddhism buddhism and so on and i have a keen interest in that i meditate irregularly mm. I do a fair bit of yoga um i practice some mindfulness you know that mindfulness app you know that mindfulness the yeah yeah the app yeah that app makes more money than all of the revenue of podcasting put together there you go how's that mate jesus christ what should, a behemoth so, um, you know, but for me personally, I think the biggest benefit for me was one, taking a break away from work mm. and two, getting away from all stimulus for 72 hours. Mm. No phone, no nothing mm. in this beautiful setting, in this monastery up in Perth, mm. up in the hills, silent, nobody annoying you, meals cooked. You didn't feel like you had to talk to be social. Mm. That's coming from an extrovert like me who can't shut his mouth. And I loved it. It was one of the best things I ever did. That's why I'm going to try and do one at least once a year. Mm. Um, so I think you're onto something there. I think a, a, a kind of a, I get a lot of these health retreats. It's like, oh, have a mud bath and detox and all that. I think there's a, there's a, big, there's a big benefit in going away and actually exercising and sleeping and eating right for a few days. doesn't mean you have to be silent. You've told me that apps are garbage, sleep apps are garbage mostly. Yeah. What about, what about an app that plays like rolling thunder in the background and light rain on a tin roof? Yeah, so I have one on my phone for mm. when I, uh, it's called Cam, and it's got like stories on it, and it's got some meditation stuff on it, mm. and it's got some um, you know, sounds and so on. So I mm. would often use that as well, or even just during the day here in the office, I'll throw it on in the background if I feel a bit stressed. Um, what I would say to people is use what works for you. For mm. some people, listening to the ABC radio might be great. Mm. For other people, it might be listening to a podcast. Mm. For other people, it might be listening to Metallica. Mm. If it helps you fall asleep and it's not stressing you out, it's okay. You can't learn anything while you're sleeping, can you? If you're hearing things. I don't know. Uh, some people of, uh, often use like hypnosis when they're asleep. Mm. I give up cigarettes by that, that way. They're right. 20 years ago by mm. listening to overnight or hypnosis overnight. Mm. And I give up cigarettes within 24 hours. They're right. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm not too sure. I haven't looked into it um, and, and to, in terms of validity and scientific stuff. first time I tried to listen to a podcast was, was the one you and Paul did together while I was going to sleep. Like I had it on the bedside table. But your, your fucking Irish accent, mate, just grating me. Thank you for listening to Warrior <laughs> You with Brown Racist. <laughs> Brown Belt's about to choke me out. Um, oh, good, man. Hey, uh, thanks for an hour's worth of talking about human optimization, sleep, um, jet lag, rituals before sleep, weight, obesity, apps and how they're crap. Um, Dr. Ian Dunnikin, it's always a pleasure, never a chore. Easy, map. Until next year. Now, make sure, people, if you are interested in this whole sleep and performance area, we have a free website. No way. 100% free. Money back guaranteed. Eighty <laughs> percent of the time, it's free sleep, every time. Sleep for performance is yeah. completely free. Sleepforperformance.com.au. Okay. On that website, there's downloads. There's more downloads going up this month as well. So there's like free ebooks. You can download papers there. Don't you have a newsletter? Yes, yeah, newsletter comes out. Yeah, it's pretty. So good. every month there is a blog that comes out. There is a podcast where I interview a guest in relation to sleep and performance. So there'll be a historian, a psychologist, whoever it might be, an elite mm. athlete. Um, there's also then an audio abstract where I break down a scientific paper. There's a newsletter comes out, uh, which kind of wraps up that information and more. And then there's there's special episodes that are kind of where do you find you know, all the time pickled across across the year. 
uh, I just don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so there's plenty of stuff Perfect. there. So head over there, guys, and use that. You know, rip off and duplicate as much as you want. A lot of companies now are actually putting that as a link or a web portal within their business, and I am completely fine with that. Mm. If you want to work with me or you want to come and do some sort of health safety improvement stuff or human performance optimization, then that's all housed through Melia's Consulting. But Sleep for Performance is 100% free. Mm. Um, so head over there and uh, have a look at that. Because awesome. we put a lot of time and money into that to make that free to try to promote sleep into the community and with athletes. So cool. use it. Cool, yeah. Thanks, mate. All right. Ciao. Okay, gang, just a quick shout out to the sponsors and make sure you have a listen to this because there's some great savings to be had. The podcast wouldn't exist without the amazing support that I get from a handful of companies. Skilled Athlete, Ironside Coffee, Kill Capture, Brother Shave, Sword Australia and Aussie Strength. Six amazing companies all set up and run by veterans. All of these businesses have a Warrior U discount code to receive savings on all their products. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.